he's not a stranger to us, uh, as he introduced himself a moment ago. He is one of our missionaries. He's been here before, uh, but his name is Cleon Buddy Rogers III. Uh, he's the illustrious son of Cleon Buddy Rogers Jr. Isn't that profound? And that was his father, and uh, they ministered together for many years in Germany, and then the Lord took uh, his father uh, home. But uh, Cleon, Buddy, and his wife Kathy, they do live uh, in Germany, and uh, he's a pretty busy fella. He doesn't just sit around trying to figure out uh, how things happen. Uh, he teaches at the Theological Seminary of Rhineland. That's a Bible school for pastors and evangelists and, and missionaries there uh, in Germany. But he also teaches at the Bibel Seminary in Bonn, Germany, and that's for ethnic Germans who are returning back to Germany from their time in the former Soviet Union. And I imagine that requires speaking some Russian to them, huh, buddy? A little bit. There you are over there. Well, you pop up everywhere. And then, uh, if that's not enough, he's also a professor at the Giessen School of Theology, uh, founded by his father, Cleon Rogers, Jr. It's the only uh, true alternative for a conservative theological education on the university level in all of Germany. And so he has these three teaching positions that he handles uh, uh, every day. And then, if he's got any free time, he pastors the International Baptist Church <coughs> in Gießen, where he's uh, discipling, uh, doing church planning, uh, pastoring his flock, helping them grow, leading them in all the activities that a healthy church uh, ought to be uh, engaged in. Some years ago, uh, before his father went home to be with the Lord, uh, the two of them uh, authored this book, The New Linguistic and Exegetical Key to the Greek New Testament. Can you say that? <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful tool uh, if you're interested and, and if you need help in just understanding what the words of the Greek New Testament mean, the verbs, the nouns, the pronouns, the adjectives, the participles, uh, all these things. It's a wonderful help for people who are really serious about uh, Bible study. And uh, Cleon, uh, he had a part with his father in, in authoring this book. Um, when you look at Buddy, he doesn't look that smart. But, uh, but he really is. And he's filled with the Spirit of God, and he's led by God. And he's been uh, doing his work in Germany for a number of years, and he's fathered a great family of kids. He's married to a wonderful wife, and she tells him how to do it right. But we're glad to have you here today, buddy, and uh, you come and minister. So glad to be here today. If you have your Bibles, Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. We wouldn't be remiss if we didn't thank you for your support. We've been in Germany since 1991, and this church has been involved in our ministry from the very day that we got there, even before. So we are so grateful. 
You know, Jesus had a busy day. The angels asked him, Jesus, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to go to earth. I'm on a mission. Well, uh, Jesus, when you go to earth, will you be worshipped like you are in heaven? Uh, probably not. Oh, Jesus, will they see how you really are? Yep. Will they worship you then? No. Well, what will they do? They'll murder me. Oh, Jesus, why are you going to do that? Because the Father asked me to. And you see, Jesus is on a mission. And he came to earth on a mission to die. But through his death, people will get to live. He came to trade his life abundant and full for my wretched life. And he traded. He came to the earth and he started to minister. And if you look at the beginning of Mark, you see Jesus kind of really busy. Now, just look at Mark 2. I mean, you have... Notice what he, all the things that he does. I mean, in one, he calls his first disciples. He drives out an evil spirit. He heals people right and left. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. He heals a man with leprosy. He heals a paralytic. He talks to a tax collector. A traitor to his people. He defends his disciples against attacks because they ate on the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue and heals a man with a shriveled up hand. He's really busy. And part of his mission is not just to do things, but to teach others how to do things. As you read the Gospels, one of their primary intents is Jesus is to be an example for us to follow. As the song says, he came to earth to seek the lost and help the lame and to bring glory to the Father's name. And he's really busy. And he has lots to do. Then we want to pick up in verse chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 13. 
And Jesus went up to the mountainside. He's going to choose his players. And he called those to him whom he wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, designating them to be apostles. I want you to notice that they may be with him and that he may send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to him he gave the name Boagenes, which means sons of thunder. They had an anger problem. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Did you notice what he did? He went up to a mountainside. And in Mark, when Jesus goes away from the crowds and returns to the mountainside, there are two things that he does there. He prays. Now, if Jesus prayed and he was God, how much more do I need to pray? My son has a uh, ministry to Muslims, and uh, he's this church that is involved, he's involved with. They said to him, You know, how do you have a ministry to Muslims? What techniques do you use? How do you meet them? He says, well, I pray. And then I go to Walmart. And I see people who look like they're from, middle, from the Middle East, and I smile at them. And I pray. And if they smile back, I talk to them. And I pray. Well, um, what other things do you do? He says, well, I pray. And I think one of the main things that we have lost in missions, we have all kinds of programs and all kinds of resources, and we've just forgotten to pray. And if you know, if you want to know what Jesus wants you to do, kind of do like he did. Pray. And then go to work. And he will lead the people into your life that you need to know. And Jesus went to the mountain to pray. He also went to the mountain to separate himself. You see, he had lots of crowds following him. Did you notice what it said? 
to call those he wanted. And it was not just a place to pray. It was a place to choose. And out of all the people that he had been dealing with, he says, I want you 12. And the amazing thing is, they came. Now, did you notice the reason he called them? Look at that. You would think he called them to help him in his ministry. He just has so much to do, he needs helpers. That's not what Mark writes. Mark writes, notice what he says. That they might be with him. He doesn't need help in doing his ministry. He can do it. And if you think God needs you, I have news for you. He's been working a long time before you were born. And if the Lord tarries, he will continue to work after you pass away. He chose them to be with him. He chose them so that they could learn from him. He chose them so they could see how he acts. How, you, how do you deal with somebody who is a complete sinner? You deal with them graciously. How do you deal with somebody like Zacchaeus? You deal with them graciously. You run over them with grace. You see, if you fight with them, they know how to fight. But if you deal with them graciously, they don't know what to do. He teaches them how to deal with people who are so religious that they're proud of it. In fact, just in Mark 3, he was angry and at the hardness of their heart, and he was full of compassion. Have you ever been angry? And then expresses itself in compassion. See, that's what he called them to teach them. He called the twelve to be with him. One writer said it this way. If you go to the shop where perfume is sold, you'll smell like perfume. And the longer you linger there, the more you'll smell like And it will affect your hair and your clothes and, for me, my beard. And the longer we linger with Christ, the more we will reflect his character. That's why he chose the twelve. Twelve. 
so they can be with him and reflect his character. He calls them to be with him, but not just to sit there. He calls them to send them out. He wants to send them out because there are so many people who need the good news about who Jesus is. And he takes these 12. The angels must have said, can't you come up with somebody better than these? Jesus said, no. I want these. Because when they do something, it will be evident that I have changed their They're all individuals. They all have, just like we do, our quirks. They're all kind of strange. They all are sinners. They all are very different. One of them is a traitor to the Jewish people. And he's a tax collector and works for the Romans. That would be like playing for Auburn and then transferring to Alabama. <laughs> uh, not good. And who will hate him? Everybody. He called, called these two guys who have an anger problem. God, they talk badly to us. Can we call down fire from heaven and burn up the whole village? How would you like them to come and preach to you? If you don't respond, fire from heaven. They, there's Simon the Zealot. His idea is drive out the Romans. Fill the Mediterranean with their blood. And he's supposed to work with Matthew, who works for the Romans. The greatest, the greatest one of them all, Peter, their fearless leader who can't keep his mouth shut. And in the time when Christ needed him the most, he denied him. Not once, but three times. And the amazing thing is, Christ knew all about this before he chose them. He even chose Judas, who was to betray them. They're all different. And they're all designed to be his. His apostles. His apostles means they are to act with his authority. They are to proclaim his message. They are to take what he does and give it to others. 
the men of Christ. Well, if you chose them, you're in for a long day. Karen Watson wrote these words in a letter. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory is my reward. His glory is my reward. You see, she revealed the heart of a missionary. That's what Christ wanted to teach these 12 guys. It cares more than some think is wise. It risks more than some think is safe. It dreams more than some think is practical. It expects more than some think is possible. You know, it's one thing to sit in your pew and to listen to a sermon. It's quite something else to act on it. You care more for people than is wise. I care for people who have stabbed me in the back. That's not wise. But that's what Christ did for me. Some of us risk more than you think is safe. That's what Christ did for me. A missionary heart dreams more than some think is practical. When I look at me, I certainly wouldn't choose me. I know all the quirks and difficulties that I have. How about you? Would you choose you? But he dreams much bigger. He expects more than some think is possible. You know, when you pray and you smile at that Middle Easterner, you never do know how they're going to respond. And when they respond and smile back, you know God has been at work. Those are great words from Karen, aren't they? Very helpful. You see, Karen Watson died March 15th, 2004, in Iraq with three other believers advancing the kingdom of God. These were letters that she put in a letter to her pastor. And it starts off, if you're reading this, I'm dead. 
And Karen Watson was exactly right. I'm not called to a place. I'm called to him. Obedience is what is required. Suffering is expected. His glory, my reward. God knew these people. Christ knew these people. They know, he knows how they are. And he wants to take these weak, broken people and use them for his glory. You know, I think his program was really successful. Starting with these 12 and losing one, he changed the world. And he knew exactly whom he was calling. And he knew their potential. You see, when we want to serve the Lord, we look at our potential. And we forget he's the one who's working through us. We've been in Germany for 27 years. That's a long time. That was even before Nick Saban came to Alabama. <laughs> and he called us to himself. And he called us to influence other people. Could I just give you a couple? I could give you hundreds. Just give you a couple. Andreas Neufeld, one of the first students at the Bibu Seminar Bonn. He started off and he was in a first graduating class of four people. He was from actually Ukraine. His family was dumped off in the middle of Kazakhstan. There they built a church. When they came back in the early, in the late 80s, he was one of the first to come. And he came to the school. Now Andreas is the missions pastor of a large church. He's the school administrator for 5,000 kids. He travels throughout the world. Sometimes he even takes me with him on his ministries. And he goes and does what I taught him to do. I was at, he invited me to one of his uh, teenage camps uh, for kids between 17 and 24. And he says, your job is to preach on Proverbs and to teach them how to be wise. My job starts at 11 o'clock in the evening. And I help him to live to be wise. See, it's one thing to teach them to be wise. It's another thing to help them to live to be wise. And he could do that because he had already built into 400 kids' lives. Another one, Larry and Shanique. 
uh, Larry and Chani um, are English. They came to Germany. They came to our church, were involved in our church, and uh, went to the school in Gießen, and now they went to Leipzig English Church. And there he works, in the middle of eastern Germany, where there are lots of atheists. And we helped him. We helped him get to know Germany. We helped him to develop his ministry skills. We helped him in all kinds of ways. And Larry and Cheney are doing something that Buddy and Kathy taught them to do. But Buddy and Kathy aren't there. And they're doing what we can't do. Stefan Schulte. Stefan Schulte is a guy that uh, it's hard to believe that he's where he is now. He was a guy who could hardly speak in public. And now he's president of one of the schools that I teach at. Ralf Schowalter. He was a bus driver. He didn't even graduate eighth grade. We took him in at the Bible Seminar Bonn, and we thought, uh, he will never make it. His German was so bad, I had to read it phonetically to understand what he wanted. The people said, send him away, and I said, no. Ralph has a heart of gold. He will work hard. And he did. And now, he's a colleague of mine. He teaches at the same school that he graduated from. He has a doctorate. And he does what I taught him to do. Alexander Shumilin. Alexander Shumilin is a guy, this is unbelievable. You just will not believe it. I went to St. Petersburg and I was supposed to teach Russian to Russian, uh, German, uh, Hebrew to Russians through a translator who didn't know English and didn't know Hebrew. <laughs> I don't know how God worked that out, but they learned Hebrew. Finally, I said to the translator, just sit there and if we need you, I'll ask you. Just. Alexander was so broken. He had come to know the Lord. His wife left him because of that and had a long-term relationship with a very rich person in Moscow. He was from the city of Fruze in Kazakhstan, even though he was Russian. He was an albino. He had white hair when he was born. Now, if you know anything about Russian Baptist churches, they are legalistic and harsh. And Alexander Shumilin is the president of one of those Baptist unions in He's known as the Apostle of Grace. 
And I remember how he was ready to give up. One of my assignments in this Hebrew class was go home, take Friday and Saturday and Sunday off. And on Monday, we'll start again. And he said, I never have seen a teacher who motivated people by his concern in God's grace. And he's in Kyrgyzian on the other end of the world. And he's having influence there. Because, see, this is the way it works. When you're with Christ, his smell rubs off. And then when you're with others, your influence rubs off as well. Because you introduce them to Christ. And they then spend time with Christ. And his smell rubs off. And it becomes attractive. It becomes something that people love you for. Because you have what they don't. And they say, could you help me out? I don't know what you have, but whatever it is, I want it. You see, you've been involved in changing these people's lives. Because we were involved with them. They were people that were nobodies. And we saw them where we are. And we helped them where they are. And they have become very valuable tools in the Master's hand. You see, being a disciple of Christ is not something that you decide on. You know, I'm just going to kind of add it to my life. I'm going to follow Jesus when it's convenient to me. It becomes a core value. It becomes your DNA. It's who you are and where you live. So often people are reflected in this point. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or to disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I'd like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. I don't want enough of God to make me love someone I don't know. No, 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 no. And we're disappointed because you can't get three dollars worth of God. If you want God, He wants to be the core value in your life. And every activity, every commitment then flows out of this core being. We're all called this morning 
to live a life in close relationship with Christ. We're all called to live a life on mission with Christ. Obedience is required. Suffering is expected. His glory, my reward. We live on the edge by doing God's will and bringing others into the kingdom. Today, God's calling. He's calling some to salvation. You may say, buddy, this it is. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I know what it means to be, have a broken relationship with God. I just don't know how to get it fixed. I can help you there. Just have to say, you know, I'm broken. Can't go to heaven on my own. Jesus is everything he claims to be. I may not understand everything. It's everything he claims to be. I know he died and took my place. And the best I know how, I will trust him. And if you're here today, and you have a broken relationship with God. He's calling you. Some, he's calling to serve. Karen Watson died. Missionaries are retiring. People cannot go to the field because of lack of funding. Supporters are passing away. People who had prayed for us on a daily basis are now with the Lord. And God's calling you. God's calling you to service, maybe to serve on a foreign field, maybe to serve here in Trustville, maybe to say, you know, these past two weeks about missions have opened my eyes. I know people say I meddle and I do it with intent. I don't see your checkbook, but you do. And when you look at your checkbook, ask yourself this question. Does the mission that Christ has given me, does it reflect in my checkbook? That's a question between you and Christ. I can't answer. When you pray, do your prayers reflect the mission of Christ? Or do you just pray for $3 worth of God? A little bit of warmth in your soul, but not enough to change your life. 
Do you remember singing that song of the stand? Do you remember that? Do you remember what it says? I stand with arms high and what else? Heart abandoned in all the one who gave it all. Was that a lie? Or did you mean it? You see, God is calling some to salvation and some to service. Today, God is calling all to be with him and all to make him known. I'd like for you to watch a video, take about three and a half minutes, and then I'll conclude. church, I promise. It'll be full. It'll be full of people like me, full of people who haven't been at church in a while, full of people who think they might be critiqued or analyzed or judged unfairly, full of people who don't have God in their lives and aren't exactly sure how to get him back. But you know what, before I step in, you to do something that's probably a big deal for you. You're going to see me this week, and I need you not to walk past me, and I need you to work through your fear, because I'm working through mine, and I just, I just need you to invite me in, and if I act like I'm not interested in going to church with you, still, I need you to ask me to come. see God. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I need you more than you know. Because look, at the end of the day, God said he loved me enough to die for me. I mean, that is the claim, right? And if he died and he didn't stay dead, your church will be full this weekend church could be full this weekend with people just like me. Different face, different skin color, different age, sex, or social status. But make no mistake, I could be sitting right next to you. I just need you to invite me in, that's all. Nothing more, nothing less. And nothing complicated. And nothing driven by guilt.
Did you notice what he said? I need you. If the message is true, that God loved me enough to die for me, I need you. I need you to invite me in. I don't have God in my life. I don't know how to get him. And frankly, I don't even know what that means. I need you. More than you know. Nothing driven by guilt. Just simple. Don't walk past me. Invite me to church. Invite me to an Easter brunch. Invite me to a cup of coffee. You'll see me this week. And I need you. You see, when we know Christ intimately, we proclaim him passionately. Because people all around us are lost. You know, one thing I discovered, it's God's job to save. That's his job. Through his spirit. It's my job to help them know this God. And to intentionally touch their lives. Because I know him intimately. Buddy and Kathy and numerous others proclaim Christ passionately. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to be like your son, the Lord Jesus. You've called us to show who Jesus is. You've called us to be his hands and his feet. And sometimes, fathers, we have to confess we've been distracted. But today, we want to change that. Obedience is expected by you. When we obey you, suffering will come. You know that. And you're with us. We want to invest our lives for your glory. So that people see the Lord Jesus. (coughs) Your glory. Our reward. For we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.
Buddy, thank you for disturbing us. We appreciate the word this morning and the challenge and the reminder that the Lord is the author of salvation. <clears throat> um, I, was, I often refer to this passage, but I think it's so important to remember. And as, as Buddy was preaching, I, I couldn't help but think about it, especially toward the end, that, you know, it's a privilege to be a believer. It's a privilege to be in Christ. It's a privilege to be a laborer for Christ. We have to remember that as Paul wrote in Corinthians, I planted, Paulus watered. God causes the growth. And so as we have opportunity, guys, you know, it's great to have pressure eliminated from you and from me. You can't save anyone. But the Lord does. He saves. He's the author. And I love that. And to think that the Lord called those guys to himself. That's what happened to you and me. at salvation. And he wants that fellowship. But he also wants us to assume the responsibility to plant and to water seeds and to recognize that those around us in this United States, many people stay home every Sunday and they, they're shaking their fists believing there is no God. And as we know, there is. And there's but one. And He is Savior and Lord. The one that you and I worship and adore. And so I pray that every day that we march with purpose as God gives us opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you, Mr. Rogers, for this morning. Let's stand, let's close in a word of prayer. Well, Lord, I want to thank you first of all just for the reminder that you called a bunch of imperfect people. <laughs> just a bunch of guys from all walks of life. And, and um, as I think about my own salvation... Lord, and how that happened, how that transpired, and just to think, Lord, you, you've taken this, this <laughs> piece of, of clay and um, called me out, saved me, have been continually working in me by your Spirit. Can I just thank you that you're doing that? And can I thank you, Lord, for those of us in this room who know you as Savior and who are living for you as Lord. And I pray that if there's one in here this morning that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today, Lord, you would remove the scales from their eyes and they'd be able to see. And I'm thankful that Lord, we don't have to make up a message, but we have the gospel of Jesus Christ written right here. We have cover to cover, 66 books that all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're so thankful that we have a message to declare, and I pray that as the choir sang, Lord, that we would be disturbed 
I'm disturbed in many ways as I look out in this country, disturbed at this country itself, disturbed at the actions of our, of our country, of our leadership. But I pray for them, Lord. You commanded us to pray for those that, that lead. And so I pray for our president and vice president and all those in Congress. Lord, I pray they would fall on their knees in dependence upon you. And Lord, as you would give us opportunities to speak, Lord, I pray you would help us to be bold. Lord, I'm also disturbed by the fact that there are so many around me just in my neighborhood that aren't going to church anywhere. I don't even know if where some of them go when they do get up and go if the gospel's being proclaimed. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just put it upon our hearts, press upon our hearts the importance of sharing the gospel and help us to be reminded of the great blessing, even today, that it is to know you. And so we just thank you, Lord, for our missions conference this year and for the reminders that we've had that you are indeed building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we commit our day to you. Help us to walk in close fellowship with you today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.